Alright, so we're going to be making my first actual episode. And this episode is going to be on witchcraft, because that is something that I am very interested in, and something that I practice. So I make... Uh, I make spell jars, I do little charms, bless things, cleanse things, you know, all the good stuff. Because um, I find it to work, and I believe in it, and I just, I love doing it. Now, I'm going to pull out my little journal. Uh, that is the first thing that you want to get. You want to get a journal to write down all of your findings and things that you use in. Um, I have a little uh, gray journal, and the first thing that I have is uh, my name and my phone number, because if I lose it, which is very plausible. Uh, the next thing on the next page is a poem that I found. I do not remember where it was from, and I'm really sorry about that. But... It says, freedom of religion includes mine. I do not judge, I do not sacrifice living things, nor do I worship Satan. In fact, I don't even acknowledge the existence of Satan. My religion is based on nature and that everyone is responsible for their own actions. Peace, love, and tolerance for everyone should be encouraged everywhere. Blessed be. And then I have uh, early witches and the same witch trials. Um, let's start with early witches. Early witches were people who practiced witchcraft using magic spells and calling upon spirits for help or to bring about change. Most witches were thought to be pagans doing the devil's work. Many, however, were simply natural healers or so-called wise women, whose choice of profession was widely misunderstood. It's unclear exactly when witches came to be, but one of the earliest records of a witch is in the Bible, in the book of the first Samuel, thought to be written about between um, like 931 BC and 721 BC. It tells the story of when King Saul sought the witch of Ender to summon the dead prophet Samuel's spirit to help him defeat the Philistine enemy. Uh, I'm going to skip over the same witch trials because I can literally talk about that for a half an hour. So we'll have an episode on that at a different time. And then I have all sorts of different kinds of witches. I only wrote down 16. Uh, then the difference between Wicca and paganism. Uh, Wicca is a tradition of witchcraft that was brought to the public by Gerald Gardner in 1950-ish. And paganism is an umbrella term used to apply to a number of different earth-based faiths. Witches have many different types and can be a witch and wicca or a witch and pagan or neither. Um, the moon phases, the deities and what they represent. For example, um, the supreme god in, in Greece and in Egypt. Uh, in Greece, it is Zeus and in Egypt, it is Ra. Uh, that's cool. There's, I can't really say that, the rest of the names, so I'm literally skipping over it. Uh, I have herbs and crystals. Um, honestly, I think that my favorite crystal might be bloodstone, because it helps energy flow, helps courage, renewal, and it also helps creativity. 
Ooh, herbs. Oh, I love herbs. I do like um, blessed thistle. Uh, helps concentration, healing, and cleansing by fire. Also sage. I love sage. But never, ever, ever use white sage because that comes from a closed practice and you want to respect closed practices and you don't want to use what they uh, practice. Next is the uh, pentagram or pentacle. The difference between the two is a pentagram is just a star and a pentacle is a star with a circle around it. That's literally it. Now, um, at the top of the star, the top point is the spirit. The point, like, kind of like the... If you're looking at it, it's like the right. If you're like pretending to be it, it's the left, you know? Um, that is air. The one below air is fire, next to fire is earth, and then it's water. Earth is the element of the north, air is of the east, water is of the west, and fire is of the south. Um, auras and spells. And then I have like six pages on sigils. And then what it means if your sage candle smoke rises north, south, east, or west. Um, north is for clarity. East is the energy is cleared or moved away. South is regeneration and shifting are coming and it's time to heal. West is emotional purification or transformation of some kind is needed. Um, different, more different spells. Um, the witch's alphabet. One word spells. Uh, manifestation, couldn't think of the word. Uh, the basics of sigil making, which I can make an entire different podcast on. Um, and then little poems, because I love writing poems. It's so much fun. Um, and then I have a little diary entry in here. Um, it says, today I contacted my great-grandmother, Cochran, through flames, and I was able to do this because she connected to me, and I was very happy about that. And... Honestly, what you need for witchcraft is basically you don't really need anything. Um, you honestly can just meditate and try manifesting things into your life. Life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Life. And you don't need anything for that. You technically don't need anything to practice. But if you want things... The basic things that I would get is like candles, especially salt. Learn how to cast a salt circle, very important. Uh, candles, like um, clear quartz can be used in place of any crystal. A white candle can be used in place of any colored candle that you might need. And rosemary can take the place of any herb that you might need. Um, a lighter is useful. Lighter match, whatever you have. Uh, tarot cards, you don't need, you don't need to use them. Um, I know that I like to use them because I like divination. Um, I actually use my tarot cards all the time. And also, you shouldn't understand angel numbers. Um, but you also need to be careful of where you research things because you don't want to, uh, find something and then it's, like, completely fake. 
you know? So, like, watch where you're reading things. Um, you can decide what kind of witch you want to be. I would suggest researching different types of witches. Um, I personally am an eclectic witch, which means I do a little bit of everything. Uh, just like my life, I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> so, um, honestly, witchcraft is based on you. It is how your spells work is a reflection of if you are focusing and just actually trying. Like, if you don't try, it's not going to happen, just like anything else. So, witchcraft is something that is widely misunderstood, and I promise we are not doing the devil's work. Yeah, a lot of people think that, don't know why. Hello and welcome to my TED Talk. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it, but there's music in the background this time, because I'm amazing like that. Anyway, today I'm going to be talking about the moon. Um, ancient civilizations appeared all over the globe. Um, Egyptians, Native Americans, Greeks, Hebrews, Chinese. The list can go on and on and on and on and on forever. Um, but... Despite all the differences between those cultures and their myths surrounding the moon, they all had one thing in common. They recognized the importance of the moon and its power in the night sky, just as we do in our modern era. So each month we have one full moon. Sometimes we have two, which is referred to as a blue moon. Our ancestors had names for each full moon of the month, just like we do today. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different civilizations, there's a lot of different names, but a lot of the names make sense once we look back and see why they were called that. I mean, some make sense, some literally seem like they have no logic behind them, but when they seem like they have no logic, you have to think what they were going through, like what was happening during that period of the year. So I'm going to butcher some of these names and I feel really bad about it, but I'm letting you know that now. Um, the Native Americans had many different names for their full moons depending on where they lived. The Zuni, I hope I said that right, from Southwest New Mexico called the full moon in January a name which translates to when the limbs of trees are broken by snow. Um, the largest amount of snowfall usually occurs throughout the United States in the month of February. Therefore, the Algonquin tribe called February's full moon the hunger moon because food supplies were scarce at that time of year. The Wishram of Washington and Oregon called it the shoulder-to-shoulder-around-the-fire moon. The Kalapuya of the Pacific Northwest called the June moon a name meaning Kama's ripe. Um, Kama, I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, is a sweet, high-protein root vegetable and a food staple. Um, the little bulb uh, was fire-baked, um, tasting like a sweet potato or a pumpkin, like kind of a fall food that I would think of, but it's June, 
Mm. Um, anyways, today, most of the full moons that are typically found in publications like the Old Farmer's Almanac come from the Algonquin tribes who lived throughout New England and the Great Lakes region, kind of around there. Um, so here's the names of each full moons in all of the months. Um, there are common names and also lesser known names. Uh, January, the name that we usually know it as is the wolf moon, but less people know it as the old moon or the moon after Yule. I mean, that makes sense because Yule is the winter solstice, which is celebrated by many witches today. Um, but hungry wolves howling would be heard in like the cool night air. Um, and it was a time for rejuvenation as a new year begins. It was a time to get organized and establish new thoughts, take action in a new way if your old ways weren't working. Uh, February, the one we know it as, is the Ice Moon, but it's less commonly known as the Hunger Moon, but we already explained why it was called that. Um, winter's stores are quickly disappearing, and this is a time of yearning for new beginnings for the body and the soul. Uh, March, the familiar name is the Storm Moon, Storm Moon. Uh, the uncommon name is the Worm Moon. You heard me right. As winter just moves along and the earth is thawing, earthworms begin to break through the surface, and it's a stage of renewal and rebirth. April, the familiar name is the Growing Moon, um, and the uncommon name is the Pink Moon. Um... They both make sense, honestly, because spring just comes sweeping in with a lot of pink wildflowers and new life. So the plants are growing and pink wildflowers. It makes sense. Um, May, the familiar name is the hair moon. And the uncommon name is the milk moon, um, which makes sense, kind of. Um, animals are being born left and right around here. Uh, and so the mother's milk is just kind of there all, all the time, which is a life force in, a, in and of itself. I forgot how many months there are. Anyway, uh, June, uh, the familiar name is the Mead Moon. The uncommon name is the Dyad Moon. I, sorry if I butchered that. Uh, this is the month of the Gemini, and the uncommon name of this moon is a nod to twins. Uh, the term dyad means pair, like P-A-I-R, not the actual gender. Um, the scaredness of a marriage and the scaredness of a marriage between gods and goddesses. The merging of two into one. Uh, July... The familiar name is the Hay Moon, but the uncommon name is the Wart Moon. You heard me right. But Wart is another word for herbs. Herbs, herbs, I don't know. And this is the time when herbs and 
plants that are used for medicine are gathered and dried in the heat of the summer in preparation for the long winters that are to come. Um, August, the one we know it as, is the corn moon. The more uncommon name is the dispute moon. Uh, corn is the plentiful harvest in August. Um, everyone eats it, fills people's bellies, and brings a content, sort of contentment that allows us to put away our concerns and arguments. Concerns and arguments, dispute, makes sense, kind of. It's weird. <laughs> September, we know it as the harvest moon. The uncommon name is the vine moon. Um, this is the Celtic moon of elation. I think I said that right. Don't know. Um, all in the name of the hard work needed to complete the harvest, winemaking, and insight into the future. October is the blood moon. That's what we know it as. The uncommon name is the shedding moon. Uh, October is really a time for hunting. Also, when deer shed their antlers and begin, you know, their breeding. Yeah. Um, in their drive to sustain and create life that surpasses the deadness of the winter. Uh, November, we know it as the snow moon, but the uncommon name would be the tree moon or the trading moon. Uh, tree moon is another Celtic-inspired name, uh, although it is controversial. Some say that the Celts had a tree calendar with each month corresponding to a tree they believed was sacred. Some call it a lunar lunar tree calendar. Trading moon refers to the, the time when the Native Americans would scurry to do last-minute trading before the winter closed in and they could no longer trade. Uh, December is the cold moon, uncommon name, the oak moon. Uh, oak is the sacred tree of the ancestors, solid enough to withstand the bitterness and the harshness of winter, uh, straddling the old and new years in darkness and in light. So, yeah, that's nice. Lots of words. Mm-hmm. Lot, lots of words. But I feel like that is important to know because I feel like it's relevant to everyone. So, yeah, that's it for my TED Talk. Uh, <laughs> all right, bye, guys. Um, so this segment is on tarot cards. Um, tarot cards are a deck of 78 cards, each having its own image and story. The 22 major arcana cards represent karma's life and spiritual lessons. The 56 minor arcana cards reflect the trials and rough patches that we as humans experience on a daily basis. Within the minor arcana cards, there are 16 court cards. These court cards represent 16 different personality characteristics we as humans choose to express at any given moment. The minor arcana also has 40 number cards organized into four suits, which each have 10 cards, representing various situations that we encounter daily. While many people believe that tarot cards predict the future, this isn't really what they do. 
Whenever it comes to tarot cards, it's all about intuition, not really fortune telling. Sorry. The best way to read tarot cards is to use them to tap into your subconscious and your inner wisdom. It's from this place of inner power and wisdom that you can discover how to manifest your goals and dreams. The cards seem to create a connection to your subconscious mind so that you can access the inner wisdom of your higher self. And here's the thing. You may already consciously know the message you receive in a tarot reading, in which case the reading can be a heartwarming confirmation of what you already know. Or you might be completely unaware of the message until you see it reflected in the cards, in which case you are now empowered to take action based on your new awareness. When you ask the tarot cards a question on behalf of someone else, who has given you permission for the reading and who has invested their energy into the reading, you're tapping into this collective wisdom. Here's the biggest thing. You cannot, you cannot do readings for other people unless you have their consent. That's like performing a spell on someone without them even knowing. It's wrong and you don't do it. Those insights are channeled through you to the person you're reading for, often in a very powerful way. Um, the information that I got all of this off of, like, I know it, but like, I need something to help me ha learn how to say it, you know, because I can't really come up with words on my own. Um, it's on biddytarot.com the article was what are tarot cards and how do they work by a girl named Bridget we love Bridget we stand Bridget anyways that's all and goodbye I have music on in the background because this is kind of a long one so today I'm going to be talking about candle magic which is a, like the simplest form of spell casting and, like, it doesn't require any fancy or ceremonial thing, you know. Um, so, basically, you know, whenever you blow out a candle on a birthday cake, it's basically that. Um, except instead of hoping that your wish comes true, uh, you're stating your intention. Basically speaking it into being. Um, which means that anyone with a candle can cast a spell. Pretty simple. So, basically, in almost all cases, the size of the candle you use is irrelevant like it does not matter but i found that uh larger candles are not the best because they take longer and you know we don't really want that like take take a six day candle and you need it for a spell and the spell requires it to burn all the way down uh, it's kind of not the best because the spell takes longer and uh you know a candle burning for six days like straight is kind of a fire hazard <laughs> we don't want that but usually a short tapper candle works best um in some cases a spell might call for a specific type of candle like a seven day candle or a candle to represent a particular person which is a form of sympathetic magic which is the idea that a person can be affected magically by the actions performed towards something that represents them basically voodoo but like voodoo is a closed practice sympathetic magic isn't but voodoo itself is. So, 
you know, close practice means that you can't do it. No. Um, but one of the most popular candles is actually the little menorah candles, which is sold by the box in grocery stores, which is super easy to get. Um, you should always use a brand new candle for spell work and not candles that you burn around the house to make it smell good. Because according to some traditions, a candle can pick up vibrations from the item around it once it starts to burn. And if a used candle is already tainted by vibrations, many people believe that it will lead to a negative or ineffective outcome. So next we have candle color meanings, which will take a little bit to get through, but um, in a lot of traditions, it's perfectly fine to use a white candle in place of any other colored candle. But if you want to take that extra step and actually take the colored candle, here's what they're for. Red is for courage and health, as well as uh, se- sexual love and, uh, and lust. Ooh, whoa. <laughs> Pink is for friendship and like sweet love, like puppy love kinda. Orange is for attraction and encouragement. Gold is for financial gain, uh, business stuff, as well as solar energies. Love that. Uh, Yellow is for persuasion and protection. Green is financial gain, abundance and fertility. Light blue. Yes, there's differences between light and dark blue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Light blue is health, patience, and understanding, while dark blue is depression and vulnerability pretty different things. Uh, purple is for ambition and power. Brown is for earth or animal related magic or things. White is for purity and truth. Black is for negativity and banishment. Uh, silver is for for reflection as well as intuition as also lunar magic, which is like the moon. So once you've picked out a candle that you need, uh, you need to dress it before you burn it. It's a method which will help you establish a psychic link between you and the candle itself. So basically you're charging the candle with your own energy and personal vibrations, which is kind of cool. You're also projecting your intent into the wax before you burn it. Um, To dress a candle, you need a natural oil. A lot of people like to use grapeseed because it has no smell. You could also use special candle magic oils from a metaphysical supply store. Uh, start start at the top of the candle and then rub down to the middle, then up to the bottom, and then back up to where the first coat of oil is. In some traditions, however, it is the anointing is done quite differently, which is you start at the middle and work your way to the two ends. Really, whichever you choose, it's fine. Um, if your spell calls for herbs to be used also, you should roll the oiled candle in the powdered herbs until it's coated all the way around. Uh, it's important to remember, though, that a candle is just a tool. It's inherent, it's not inherently magical, but instead a way to create magic using the element of fire to set one's intention into motion. Little fun fact. Uh, Just like other tools used with magic are, candles should be cleansed uh, before they're included in the spell, and cleansing will come in a later episode. 
Um, but the most basic form of candle magic uses a piece of colored paper that matches the intent of your candle. Uh, choose what your intention is, then write it on the piece of paper, and then say, let's say you're doing a money spell. You'd write down your intention on a gold or green piece of paper, because it's like the candle colors. It's not just for candles, those are colors that represent those things. Um, and you'd write something, something similar to, uh, I will become financially prosperous, you know? Uh, in some traditions, you would write down your intent in a witch's alphabet, like Thebian or something else, because, but because this is working with money, you need a green or gold paper and candle, because um, that's the colors that go with financial gain. Um, so you have to write down your goal, and while you're doing that, you have to visualize achieving your goal. And once you've written it down, concentrate on your intention while folding the paper. Some people like to say a small incantation or chant while doing this. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can be as simple as extra cunning, extra money come my way. I could use a little cash today. Extra money come to me. This is my will, so let it be. So then you put it on, you put the end of the paper into the flame and hold it as long as you can. But please, please don't burn yourself. Um, and eventually put the burning paper into a fire-safe bowl or cauldron to burn the rest of it on its own. Um, let the candle burn out completely and then dispose of it. Uh, throwing it away or burying it. Just get it away from you. So, yeah, that's that's candle magic for you. Boom. <laughs> All right. So, uh, now we're doing crystals and their meanings. So, and these are pretty common crystals, so that you can get them easily. Uh, amethyst is good for anti-anxiety and for a good night's sleep. Uh, this crystal works to bring a sense of physical and emotional peace. It's also really good for head-related things. Uh, things being, like, easing headaches and migraines, pain relief, as well as strengthening intuition. Um, it's also believed that if you keep a piece of amethyst by your bed, it'll bring good dreams to you, which uh, we don't want nightmares, so. <laughs> uh, rose quartz, um, it's good for manifesting love and new relationships, or if you're already in an emotional roller coaster, uh, rose quartz encourages reconciliation and empathy need another benefit it's said that rose quartz brings inner peace no matter your relationship status so you know might want to get some uh black tourmaline um is said to be able to absorb all of the negativity that comes your way ridding you of toxicity um it's associated with the root chakra um and is said it's also said that black tourmaline can ground you in times of anxiety or whenever things are feeling overwhelming. I keep this with me at all times. Uh, selenite is the best crystal to cleanse a space, which cleansing will be the next episode. Uh, the crystal is supposedly clears out bad vibes that have accumulated. I never could say that word. 
throughout the day and surrounds you with a more peaceful flow of energy. Um, you can use selenite like a wand around your body to draw out negative energy. But selenite dissolves in water, so do not put it in water. Do not do that. Citrine, citrine is said to help people who are feeling stuck uh, for an instant jolt of confidence. You know, it's like, hmm, you're confident now. Um, I suggest putting it on your stomach while resting. Um, and it's supposed to draw positive energy to you, which is always a plus. Jade. It's a portable lucky charm. Jade is said to bring prosperity to the material realm, which is here. Um, wearing jade on your left hand or wrist is said to help bring blessings from the universe. So, you know, everyone likes blessings. Not to mention jade money. Money. Clear quartz is essential for any crystal collection. Um, it's supposed to dim your inner noise and help clarify your goals. It's also, It also supposedly has healing properties, which... Is always a plus. Uh, you're supposed to put it by the window to soak up solar energy, which will then transfer to you and possibly get rid of negative things in your life, like some people or like bad days. Uh, lapis, Luzuli. Lapis is absolutely the best crystal to keep in your locker at school or at your work desk. Uh, it helps encourage a free flow of ideas. It also encourages clarity and di directness, which is especially helpful during the Mercury retrograde, which is an astrological transit that is famous for causing communication meltdowns. So, you know, you might want to get some. So how to use the crystals? You can meditate with them, place them around your home, put them under your pillow, put them in your pocket. Uh, use them in a moon bath, not selenite, because it dissolves in water. You could put them in a drink, not selenite. Or you can use them as jewelry. So, um, taking care of the crystals. You can put them around a selenite wand. Um, you can give them a salt bath for about 48 hours. You can charge them, cleanse them, put black tourmaline in a bowl of brown rice to get rid of the negative energy. Like, that's specific to that. So... There's crystals. Cleansing is super important. Um, it helps to protect you from negative energies and curses. Yes, curses are real. It's scary. Um, but there's a shit ton of different ways to cleanse a space, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, first thing we're going to cover is when you should cleanse. Um, when you're having a bad day, if you are or were sick, uh, after a breakup or a loss, after an argument or during a major life transition, which could be a job, new relationship, ending a relationship, new pet, um, or like other things like that, um, or whenever you're feeling stuck. So next is how to cleanse. Um, you could set a new intention, for example, say... My space is protected from negativity, or I am feeling, not I am feeling, you would say I am productive. Basically, speak your intention 
out loud to set it in motion. Uh, you could burn dried herbs, which also can be done. Cedar for clearing out energy. Yabasanta for loving vibes. Rosemary for new beginnings. Mugwort for enhanced dreams. Juniper for comfort. You can burn raisins for purification. Palo Santo for prosperity. Deptan uh, Monastery for clarity. Sandalwood for grounding. Um, and if you don't want to burn anything, feel free to use Himalayan salt lamps. I personally do both. Uh, but you don't have to burn something because some people just can't take smoke. And that's perfectly fine and perfectly normal. You could also put crystals around your home. You could make noise with drums, gongs, clapping, etc. Um, you can burn incense or cleanse with salt, which is... Incense is kind of like a stick that you light the end of and then blow it out. And the smoke helps cleanse a space. Um, cleansing with salt, you put salt around... Uh, where you want to cleanse. Uh, here's more things that you can do with salt to help cleanse. You could dissolve it in a spray bottle and then spray it around. You could put sea salt around the place you wish to cleanse, which is what I just said. You could also add salt to your altar if you have one. You don't need to. Um, you could also dissolve salt uh, and water to cleanse the space, which is what I said. Uh, you could also use Himalayan salt lamps. Um, like I also said, I'm just repeating myself. You could spread the scent of lemon around your home. You could simmer them in water. Uh, no more music. Uh, you could simmer them in water, leave small dishes of fresh lemons around the space or use essential oils. Notely, lemon, which, you know, lemon's good, but also plants in general, like just like lavender, lots of things, rosemary. Or you could imagine a light that starts in your heart, and then you can imagine it spreading throughout the space, pushing out any negativity, which is also something you can do to uh, cleanse a space. Ta-da! This might actually be my fifth time recording this, but here I go. So vervain, aka the enchanter's herb, has been associated with magic dating back to the Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, and the Celtic Druids. Its purpose? To protect against evil spells and negative energy, as well as to purify sacred spaces, which would be altars, ceremonial implements, temples, homes, etc. Uh, Popper somniferum, aka poppy, in Greek mythology, the poppy was given to Demeter by Morpheus to ease her grief and suffering. Also, little fun fact, uh, Demeter and Persephone were at the center of an ancient cult known as the Eleusinian Mysteries, uh, and followers believed that the two could heal women and children. That's super cool. Uh, Atropa belladonna, aka deadly nightshade, a highly poisonous plant. The name came from Atropos, uh, who was one of the three fates in Greek mythology, whose role was to cut the thread of human life. So basically, uh, little, 
the Latrepos here was like, oh, you know, I th it's time for them to die. Snip, snip. <laughs> In ancient times, it was used as an effective poison and for uh, anesthesia preparations. Atropine, which is an alkaloid derived from the plant, continues to be used in surgery today, actually. Uh, Deadly Nightshade, or Belladonna, was reportedly used in witchcraft as a flying ointment. A flying ointment. When the plant was soaked in fat and then applied to the skin, it induced the sensation of flying or astral projection, and that is because it is a hard drug. So they were basically getting high. That's fun. Actinidum nepalis, aka actinite, or monkshood, in in Greek mythology, ac actinite was associated with Hecate and was formed from the saliva of, of Cerberus, who was the three-headed dog who guards the gates of hell. Um, it was listed as one of the ingredients in which is flying ointments, but due to its lethal toxicity, this application is in question. Um, it's one of the most poisonous plants of the old world and was used to kill wolves as well as humans. What is with people in the old, old world and doing hard drugs and poison? Why? Alcamilla uh, Mollus, aka Lady's Mantle. During the Middle Ages, people thought that the glassy beads of liquid that formed on the leaves of, the, of this plant was embedded with a magical essence that was used to create the Philosopher's Stone. Alchemists believed that the stone could transform basement metals into gold, cure all diseases, and prolong life. The name Alchemilla originates from the Arabic word for uh, chemistry, which is also super cool. 